welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show for you. We're going to talk a little about sclerotinia white mold. Unfortunately, this disease affects lots of different crops. It's not just soybeans. It's dry beans. It's canola, sunflowers. There are, I believe, over 100 species of plants that can get sclerotinia white mold. But today we'll talk about how you can reduce that issue. I didn't say completely solve the problem, but how you can reduce the issue on your farm. If you've got any questions for us or there's anything you'd like to talk about that's going on in your operation, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, so to begin with, with sclerotinia white mold, I'd just say there are a number of things that can be done. There certainly is no silver bullet. I, I really think, though, probably the most important thing is to pick a more tolerant seed variety. What do you think, Darren? Oh, boy, yeah, there's so many things around white mold of, of what you can do. Yep, what but you the more do. tolerant seed variety, I think that's number one. What would be ahead of that? Well, okay, number one, crop rotation, of course. You want to rotate away from beans. Wait, uh, whoa, a little whoa. Bit. I see now that here's where right away I'm gonna disagree with you. Great. Now now I'm I'm not saying crop rotation isn't good. It's great. Okay. The more years you can stay away from that crop, the less chance you're gonna have white mold, obviously. Yep, but yep, what but I'm getting mold, at is you're gonna hang if you're in your normal while. rotation, okay, okay, what are you gonna okay, do? So different question. So yeah. you you were corn last year, you gotta go back to soybeans this year, you don't have any other choice. <laughs> yep. Uh yeah, that's exactly right. I'm going to plant the tolerant variety. That's going to be my first step. Then I'm going to start working on management in crop. I'm going to do some things on the seed. Uh, I'm going to use heads up, for example, on the seed. I'm going to wait. Uh, yeah, but get into I'm not going to put that up with where a fungicide is. I'm, I'm heads up step... in our research, one to three bushels. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, it pays for itself. It's absolutely. No question. But the fungicide and could be 20 no, to 30 bushels. But I'm just talking beans. about as I go through the season. So, oh, sure. So I'm, well, I got I'm, 10 things. So, okay. So <laughs> I start off with that variety. Then I'm looking wait. at what am I going to plant for a population? I'm probably going to lower my population just a little bit. I'm going to put on uh, heads up on the seed. That's going to be another thing that I'm going to do. Uh, I'm looking at row spacing. Oh, I want here. to make sure that I'm doing the cultural things yep. right. Okay, go ahead. Run oh, through well, yeah, but I mean, you got to start before you're even ready to plant and take a look at what are your soil test levels. Obviously, we want good drainage. That's a key all the time because if, if soils are going to sit waterlogged, then they're going to be more likely to have these mushrooms that are are starting so it, it it's a big deal well anyway we'll continue going through that we got to get to the phone lines first though darren all right let's go out to ohio we got jim with us right now jim how's it going well it's like farming in the bottom of pond this year <laughs> that's pretty accurate jim i I would say, well, you know, and we're talking about white mold and beans you've got a question about disease in in wheat uh, what's on yeah, your mind since it's so I was wondering uh, what you would recommend in a generic to uh, maybe blend together or by itself that I could use to uh, help me with fungicide on wheat and head scab. Okay, so are, we're talking at heading timing for scab or you're talking yes, earlier? Yes. Okay, he just at that heading time. time. Yes. Yep. So that would protect also the, the leaf and leaves and stalk. 
All right, so let's talk about the the um, options that you got at that point. You can do the triazole family, so you've got uh, you could do a generic folicure type of product. Yep, that'd and that's be your only cheapest about, option. Yep, that's only about two bucks an acre. In terms of mixing, though, I really don't know what you're going to mix. There is the old tilt that you know okay. could possibly be used, but I. I don't know that that's going to help you a whole lot on scab anyway. So generally, if guys are going to spray at that stage and they want cheap, they just go with this Tebiconazole, which is generic folk Now, care. if you wanted to go with a, a strong option, stronger option than that even for head scab protection, you, you look at several different products. You've got Caramba, which is a straight product. You've got Proline, which is a combination of two triazoles. And then you've got the Pres- new No, 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 no. Prisaro, you mean, not Proline. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say? Yes, oh, yeah. you Prisaro said Proline. has Proline Pres- in it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. And so you got Caramba, Prosaro, and Miravisse. So those are the three choices if you want to, you know, so better control on scab. If you say, eh, I don't know, it's it's I'm not that worried about it, but I want some scab protection and I definitely want rust protection. And like you talked about, you know, disease protection on your leaves, that's where this generic folicure is. So that's about two bucks. Otherwise, you're going to spend roughly 10 plus for Caramba, Prosaro, and certainly Miravis Ace, that's the new one. Well, we don't want to be cheap. We want to be economy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I mean, I'm, you know, this is one of I the things. I, I, yeah, I, I talk to the big companies every year about how they price things and, and stuff. And I just say, look, you've always got to give us farmers a couple options because if I don't have serious pressure and I'm not 100% sure that this uh, head scab is going to be a big deal, I want to go cheap. And I do that on our farm sometimes, two bucks. That's all it is for that fungicide, that tebiconazole. Or you say, okay, it's really not that much more. You go 10 bucks for the good ones. So the difference is $8. You look at the wheat price and you go, okay, am I going to get, I'd have to get three, four, five bushels before I not only paid for it, but actually made it really pay. So do I think I can gain that? And that's kind of your question. Okay. That's a good deal. Okay. I got another quick question. Since right. beans are going to be planted, planted later, yep. should a guy be up in the population up a little bit than normal? Um. Well, in theory, that's great. A lot of times that's what we used to say is narrow up the rows, up the planting population just a little bit. But the problem today is the cost of soybean seed is so much that if I'm going to up it, I'm sure not going to up it much. So honestly, no, I don't know that I'm really that worried about it. How late are we talking? Just here in the next 10 days or are we talking a month from now? Well, if I knew that, I wouldn't be calling you out of being on some <laughs> tropical island sitting in the beach. Well, I, I just say the later we get, the more the lack of sunlight becomes a concern. So the more the narrow rows pay and the more the higher planting population will pay. Well, hey, Jim, thanks a lot for calling in today. Really appreciate it. Best of luck to you. Hopefully things dry out there for you quick. Okay, thank you. You bet. Thanks. Talking about sclerotinia white mold and taking your calls and questions all throughout the show today. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy 2 Save 3 is a service mark and Impact Z is a trademark owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Ultra Blazer! Kinda sounds like the name of a superhero, doesn't it? 
Well, to soybean growers it is, because Ultra Blazer from UPL controls the toughest weeds including pigweed, ragweed, and water hemp. And you can make it part of your resistance management program on all trait-based beans, even dicamba tolerant. Plus, with Ultra Blazer, there are no plant-back concerns. Talk about superpowers. To learn more, contact your crop protection consultant or dealer. Always read and follow label directions. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgroLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid is the perfect fit for your planter fertilizer program. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. We started utilizing the dual react system this year. You can adjust your speed and it automatically adjusts your sprayer tips. So you can slow down and you aren't building up huge droplets or you can speed up and you're not throwing a mist that's drifting. Hypro, helping you spray better. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? The Soil Warrior can reduce trips across the field, optimize nutrient placement and improve soil health. So you can lower production costs without losing yield. See what makes the Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We're talking about sclerotinia white mold on the show, but we get questions on a lot of different topics. We had uh, Rick called over the break, and he said, I'm going to go conventional soybeans, wondering what you'd do for a pre-emerge program. And Rick, it'd be the same for any kind of soybeans. We like the three pre-program the best. That would be using one of the yellows. You'd use Prowl if you're in no-till. You'd use uh, Trifluralin very likely if you're in conventional till. Then using one of the PPOs like Authority or Valor. Those would be the two products we'd prefer there. They'd give you the longest residual. And then we'd like to use some Metribuzin. Now, depending on your soil pH, uh, if you've got a lower pH below 7.4, we can go up to about a third of a pound in most cases. Uh if we've got a high pH, we don't have to use as much. It's highly active in those high pHs, so you can get by with uh, maybe a sixth of a pound, maybe even less. And then the other concern you'd have on the metribuzin would be if you have a very, very light, low organic matter soil, CEC, um, in the low single digits, then you probably just want to avoid it. But other than that, you can get three modes of action out there. It's the best bet you can get because you can't use any of those post-emerge. Thanks for the question, Rick. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines here. we got Damon Smith with us. We're really happy to have him on in Wisconsin. Uh, Damon, thank you so much for joining us. You bet. Thanks for having me on today. All right. So uh, probably a little early for the prediction tool for sclerotinia white mold, but uh, is that maybe where you want to start talking about that? Sure. Yeah, I can. Uh, yeah, it's a little early to tell yet on the long range plan what what we're looking at, but I do have uh, I do have some concerns this year just going into 2019 with a lot of delayed planting going on around here uh, and looking at this cool wet pattern we're in. I mean, those are going to be uh, pretty significant uh, conditions that they hold uh, going into the the heavy white mold season. So I think folks need to pay attention to. Uh, to the weather as we move into, uh, you know, the end of Jul- J- June and early July uh, and just pay attention to where their soybeans are at. You know, if that bloom period falls right into this, this um, you know, cool wet pattern, uh, that prediction app's going to be telling people that uh, risk is going to be high for sure. 
You know, when you think about late planning, I, I'm glad you brought that up because we get so many questions about what What do you think? What should I do? How should I, how should I change my management? One of the things that I think about is, is actually a little bit of a concern for me is that we aren't going to close that canopy in or it's going to get closed in late. Now, in terms of white mold, that would probably actually be a good thing if that canopy stayed open a little longer, correct? It could. Uh, it could be a good thing. The, the catch is going to be whether we... Uh, continue to accumulate good heat units after that. So back in 2017, you know, we, we just didn't have the heat units there. And what happened is, is bloom sat there and lagged and lagged and lagged. So even though the canopy may not have closed as fast, we were also stuck with soybeans that just kept blooming for a long time. So, um, you know, while while not having a completely closed canopy can, can help us a little bit on the white mold side, you know, the catches, you're just not going to have, you're, you're going to have this longer bloom period that's just going to keep you in a susceptible growth stage for a longer period of time. 20, 2018, we had the opposite problem. We pushed heat units so fast, things bloomed uh, real fast, much shorter window than we had in 2017. We had, you know, at least in Wisconsin, uh, you know, there were some hot pockets for sure, white mold, but it certainly wasn't as bad of a, a white mold year as we had in 2017. So, you know, it could be a catch-22 uh, there. We also know from some of our work that the candy bee doesn't need to close 100%, uh, but once we get the 50, 60 percent between row closure, we start to get some some pretty good risk there for for uh, those little mushrooms to be out there. Okay, we're talking about some of the management tools that we've got, and and there's uh, a new one with Miravis Neo coming on board, and uh, you know, and we've got some of the products we've been using for a long time, Endura and others. What do you see with with those fungicides? Uh, we also have a lot of guys that really like Cobra that say, "Man, that sure helped us." Uh, have you seen any consistent success with any, any of those products? Yeah, we actually just finished up uh, a big study uh, here in the uh, North Central that had uh, quite a few data points, and we looked at some of the older uh, standby fungicide products. We also had Cobra in that mix. Uh, we don't have things like Miravis Neo because they're just so new in that particular in this particular study, but. One thing we saw in in that multi-location, you know, over 2,000 data points there is actually COBRA uh, was one of the best in terms of just giving us the lowest disease index scores. So it kept, you know, the disease levels quite low. The trade-off there is you need to be a little careful with COBRA. As we know, you know, you can get that injury, especially at that R1 application timing, which is where you want COBRA to be if you're going to be trying to use it to reduce white mold. And, if you have a low disease, uh, low disease pressure history in a particular field, it can actually take a little bit of yield from you. But we did see in high disease pressure environments, or at least fields with a history of high disease pressure, uh, COBRA giving us a decent response over the non-treated there. So, you know, when it comes to COBRA, you have to be a little bit careful. You don't want to go into a field uh, necessarily with that targeted for white mold control if you're just unsure of the pressure. But if you know you got good high pressure there, it has been a, a pretty consistent product for us. In terms of some of the other products, the old Endura uh, program, still pretty consistent for us approach, uh, still pretty good for us. Uh, we have pretty good luck with the ProLine Stratego yield program as well here in Wisconsin. Yeah, a lot of lot of choices there, and that's that's uh, that's a good thing for us because there's a wide variety of price points there, and just those products that you mentioned. <laughs> when, when we're targeting timing, 
Uh, R1 and R3, is that kind of your optimum timings? You want to get out at R1 and follow up at R3? Or what What do you like to see, or, and where are you getting the best success? Yeah, I'm glad you, you talked about economics because we, we also looked at the economics of this, and, and it really – you know, economics can play a role in terms of not only the product choice, but also whether you're going to go with a one-pass or a two-pass program here. And so you sort of have to do the math and figure out what works in your operation. We saw the two-pass programs, of course, you know, where you come in at R1 and then come in again at R3. Those were the best in terms of timings, and that makes sense because you're, you're basically protecting that entire risky bloom period, you know, and and. So, so you're getting full full protection there. But if you were going to go with a single application, we actually saw uh, R1 being a pretty good single application timing. But to actually, to our surprise, uh, after we analyzed the data, we actually saw that the R3 timing would edged out the R1 timing just a little bit here in the North Central. So, what we're starting to see is some folks pushing that application just a little later, trying to stretch that protection in targeting full bloom and, and trying to get some protection there if you're going to go with that single application timing. But still, you know, that two-pass program being the best when you just looked at overall protection. Hey, Damon, uh, one switching gears here just a little bit from soybeans to corn. Uh, we, we've gotten so many questions and so much feedback around tar spot. Anything for, for guys going into this year, would you say best management practices to just get fungicides out in advance, or, or is there a, a trigger that you're seeing for that? Yeah, we're well. First off, my I I've got a lot of concerns uh, looking at this tar spot situation moving into 2019 with the delayed planting. That's uh, one thing that's at the at the top of my uh, list right now. Is I think folks just really need to be paying attention to what's going on as we move into the season here. Again, weather just like with white mold, weather's going to be driving a lot of what we potentially could see. If we move into, you know, the between the V6, with so six fully emerged leaves there, up into the tassel period on corn here, if we're below average temperatures for your region, um, above average rainfall, you know, you had some tar spot in a field in 2018 and you're back in that field again with some corn, you know, the disease triangle says the risk is there. And so you're going to want to look at potentially a preventative fungicide application We've been messing around a little bit with some disease prediction modeling. We actually took our white mold forecaster framework and we've retrained it uh, for tar spot. We're going to be running a beta research version, uh, myself and my colleagues. And uh, it seems to be looking like when we run the back validations, it looks pretty good. And again, it's, it's really revolves around the temperature and moisture components there and it always yeah, think, picks up where we're below average temp and, and above average rain we we see high risk so. i think that will be fun to take a look at and certainly you mentioned the white mold sporecaster uh, excellent tool i'd advise all our listeners to uh, check into that uh, damon smith thank you so much really appreciate having you on appreciate the work you're doing as well stay tuned we'll be right back Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. 
Clean fields and higher yields start with a strong battle plan. For soybean growers, there's no stronger ally than Sonic Herbicide. When applied pre-emerge, Sonic has proven to defeat yield robbers like water hemp, mare's tail, and giant ragweed. With long-lasting residual control, it keeps fighting to defend your field from invaders. Visit battleweeds.com to plan your attack against weeds. Always read and follow label directions. Sir, yes, sir! White mold, sudden death syndrome, root rot. If you raise soybeans, it may seem like you have all the cards stacked against you when it comes to disease. But did you know there is a new cost-effective seed treatment which can help prevent all three? Heads Up Seed Treatment offers a new proactive approach for dealing with fungal and bacterial diseases. Compatible with other seed treatments, hedge your bet against disease this spring. Ask your dealer for Heads Up today. To locate a dealer, visit HeadsUpST.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. Talking about sclerotinia white mold, one of our, I don't know, least favorite issues that we have to deal with on our farm. It's a tough one. There's no doubt about it. And it can certainly rob a lot of yield from a number of crops, including soybeans. Uh, we've got Rich Porter on with us right now with AMVAC. Rich, thanks for joining us. Hi. Uh, good afternoon. Glad to be here. All right, we were talking about white mold a little bit today, and one of the subjects that's come up already is fungicide use. And there, there are so many different fungicides out there. I love having a multiple mode of action approach. Uh, I know that's one thing that, that you talk about quite often. Why is that so important? Well, with, uh, with two modes of action, it definitely helps you on resistance management and also the, the actives are, are not all equal. Some have a little bit more curative and some have a little more protective, protecting activity. So so that's uh, those are a couple of reasons, but definitely resistance management is, is key. So, Rich, you guys have had Acropolis now for, I think, a couple of years. What have you seen with that combination? Basically, the active ingredients from Topson and Domark together, so two different modes of action. Uh, how has that performed in a lot of your work? Yeah, in the uh, in, in the university uh, trials that have been conducted the last few years, it performed as as well as uh, the other products out there with 
few modes of action in them. So when you compare, you know, in that fashion, apples to apples, uh, Acropolis is, is very much uh, on the same level as some of the others that we see in the market. All right, how about multiple applications? Because that is one of the questions that we get quite often, especially from really high-yield producers and guys that have had a history of white mold, like us on our farm. Um, first timing, I assume you're going to tell everybody spray right at R1, but can Acropolis be used as a second treatment again later on? And if so, how often should a farmer be spraying? Yeah, um, good question. I think uh, Damon Smith did, did an outstanding job describing kind of why we need multiple applications. Um, just to review it, you've got, you know, continuing bloom uh, on the plant. You've got to protect those new blooms. Uh, but I, I think R1, if, if uh, disease conditions are, are favorable then for white mold, then we need to begin the program at R1. And, and then, again, uh, that second application at R3, if conditions remain. So uh, with Acropolis, just to see, you know, or to uh, point out where that fits in, it, uh, it will fit in very well at the, at the R1 application with some protecting activity. Um, for R3, according to the label, we would want to go, uh, go with a different mode of action uh, other than what is in other than the two modes in Acropolis. So, so that is, is something I think all, all um, agronomists should be talking about, rotate modes of action with these fungicides. Yeah. Now, as you say that, a person could come back on the third application. If somebody was thinking, oh my goodness, this is going to be terrible, I'm going to spray three times, technically you could spray the first time and the last time with Acropolis and those modes of action, right? That, that is correct. That is correct. Uh, exactly true. By the label, we can do that. So, so yeah, R1, Acropolis, come back with different modes of action, R3, and then come back with Acropolis. But, you know, again, that's all going to be dependent on, on conditions for the you know, for the disease so all right anything very, uh, yeah any, go ahead. anything else that you wanted to cover today on white mold and, and acropolis or anything else from amvac um really that's it i think uh pay attention to uh, right now let's uh, get the crop planted of course and then we'll, we'll pay attention to conditions as we get into into the bloom period so thank you for having me. You bet. Yeah, thanks again. We've been talking to Rich Porter with AMVAC. And, you know, with that Acropolis, the thing that I like, two different modes of action and just a lower price point. So we talk a lot about, hey, Endura is a really good product. One mode of action, much higher price and point. it's expensive, it's, yeah. Right, right. So I, and to, to Rich's point, you want to rotate anyway. So why not get those modes of action in? All right, let's head to Iowa State. We've got Darren Mueller with us. Darren, thank you so much for being on. No problem. All right, we're talking sclerotinia white mold today, and I, I just think back a couple of years ago on some of these fields where guys want to be putting soybeans this year, we had kind of a bad white mold year, and that's never a good thing when you've got that disease history in a field. How do you manage that in a positive way? Well, I mean, you're, you're talking to a plant pathologist, so I don't really like the tenor of you saying that that white mold's a bad thing here. <laughs> no, I know you, you like to see stuff out there. I get it, but you got lots of plots there and you can see it in your plots. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, I, I would say if, 
if you have it, you're right. That that should trigger. Um, and and usually people that have a really bad white mold field, they they understand the pain of it, and they are going to be taking steps uh, to to try to minimize that from from occurring again. Is is deep tillage one of them? Do you try and bury the sclerotia, or would you rather see them all lay on the surface? Do, would they break down quicker that way? You you know, if you look at the literature, you can go either way. I I, I would say in general. Plant pathologists should never recommend tillage for any disease, just because there's there's enough other aspects around tillage that um, that are probably more important than the, than the knee jerk reaction of, of a plant disease. Um, there's some data out of uh, Illinois and Wisconsin showing that if you bury the sclerotia and then come and follow it with uh, minimal till or no till, uh, that, that that does work in the short term, but not in the long term. Um, and then there's also some data, I think, out of Minnesota. I'm not real sure, but there's some there's some data out there that shows that no-till systems or, or systems where you leave that scorcher on the top, uh, they'll break down a lot faster, uh, just 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 based on the, the sort of the soil health and and the more microbial uh, things out there that will be sort of competing with that sclerotia. One one interesting question that's come up already this year is, hey, we're we're going to be a month behind in planting do you think those sclerotia will get germinating earlier and we might just miss the window it might not even be blooming by the time they're ready to go um well it's maybe but you know remember that the you have to have the right light quality for the for the apothecia to develop so once that sort of to dork out a little bit you know you have the sclerotia in the soil and it'll germinate and produce a stipe that stipe has to hit sunlight before it produces an apothecia. But just to take it a little bit further, it has to it has to hit sort of shaded light. That's a sort of and so it has to be filtered um, from from a canopy or something. And if it if it's too sunny, it won't produce an apothecia. So uh, it it depends on what you have there uh, in that field and for those apothecia. If you have a, a decent canopy and no flowers, then then there's a chance. But um, I would say don't count on it to to, to avoid white mold. The, the the pathogens figured out ways to sort of wait until there's a good canopy in, in the reproductive stages. Yeah, it sounds like kind of a long shot. Okay, so once we've got that canopy and we've got um, white mold spore production going on, we, we hear all the time that it enters the plant through the blooms. Is there Are there other places that the white mold gets in, or is it pretty specific to, to those sites? Well, if, I mean, you're in the neck of the woods where there's other crops that are susceptible to white mold. Um, certainly, sunflowers has shown that there's going to be infection through the roots, uh, and, and there's other crops that that happens as well. It's not documented in soybeans, but it's probably not unheard of. I would say, in general, the the infection site would be predominantly the, the flowers. It can. There, there's some research out of Wisconsin that shows that they, they can they can infect injured areas as well. So you'll you'll see randomly a, a stem or something that's that's infected where where it doesn't really make sense. Um, but I would say it, it's safe to say most of the time it'll be through that flower, or this nesting flower. Well, Darren, I know you were kind of giving me a hard time a little bit about saying having disease out there is a bad thing, but guess what? You get a nice, cool, wet year. You got a pretty good chance of being really, really busy this summer. Uh, so really appreciate you taking the time to be on with us today. Thank you. 
Yeah, and and I, I mean, we we usually joke about it as plant pathologists, but you're right. We we ne- we never want to see a lot of disease. So yeah, well, it, I hope it, it, hopefully it, it straightens out and, and we <laughs> sort of can, can get through with minimal problems. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much, Darren. Yeah, I hope it's a very very boring summer for him of not seeing much disease, but. Uh, I kind of think it might be the opposite. Hey, we're talking sclerotinia white mold on today's show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Using NSERV nitrogen stabilizer with fall fertilizer applications keeps nitrogen available into the spring for maximum crop growth. Field trials in Iowa show NSERV delivered an average revenue increase of $22.96 per acre, and NSERV is the only recognized nitrogen stabilizer product in the Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy because it reduces nitrate leaching. That's max profit in an environmentally sustainable way. Calculate your field's profit potential at nitrogenmaximizers.com. How do you know when to run your grain bin fans? There's an app for that. With the Steps GMS app, you can manually turn your fans on and off from your smartphone. You can also configure the Steps GMS app to automatically turn fans on when the humidity or temperature is ideal to keep your grain in top quality condition. Save yourself some time and take the guesswork out of managing your stored grain with the Steps GMS app. Contact us at stepsgms.com for more information. The mighty Prosaro. King of fungicides. Its fast action and long residual make it the keeper of grain quality and yield, the hammer of head and leaf diseases, the number one reducer of scab. When your goal is greater wheat quality and higher yield, use Prosaro fungicide, and the crown of higher profit will be yours. Learn more at prosaro.us. Always read and follow label instructions. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean field, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean field and get rewarded with Roundup Ready Plus when you choose the proven power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. This year, you already made one smart choice by planting glufosinate-tolerant seeds. Now make another, Interline Herbicide from UPL. Interline controls tough, resistant weeds like pigweed, water hemp, mare's tail, and ragweed in glufosinate cropping systems. And with our new manufacturing facility, there'll be plenty of Interline to go around. So play it smart. Choose cost-effective Interline Herbicide. To learn more, contact your UPL distributor or sales representative. Always read and follow label directions. Managing nitrogen is a challenge, and early season rains can wipe out early applications before peak demand. Proximus by Actigrow works with native microbes and soil microbial cycling to manage nitrogen. Applied at planting and side dress with UAN fertilizer, Proximus is proven to protect nitrogen and increase yield. Ask your ag retailer for Proximus with your next UAN purchase or visit superchargeyouran.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open all throughout the show today. If you have an agronomic question for us at 844-44-AG-PHD, you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. I'm going to get into some of those emails here in just a minute. Uh, and also you can find us on Twitter, Ag PhD Media. 
Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. I uh, wanted to take just one minute talking about, Brian mentioned variety selection being really important. If you're putting soybeans in, you know you've got some white mold uh, history in those Well, areas. let's talk any crop, though. Any crop, variety selection is important. And while okay. there may not be resistance, there's still tolerance. No. And Darren, you work a lot with the, the different seeds. Um, talk to us real quick about no resistance, but there are different levels of tolerance. Yeah, it's a it's a complicated thing, and and definitely the seed breeding industry is looking for resistance because this is a tough tough disease, and it can completely wipe out crop. Um, so that's one of the things that that's in the forefront of many minds. Unfortunately, though, it seems to be one of those things that there isn't just this single switch that you can turn off and on. So there's several different genes that are involved in this, and that that makes it a little bit complicated. So in the meantime, what you can do is look at tolerance. And when you look at tolerance ratings that you get from various seed companies, you'll see there is a difference. It's not, oh, they're all average. Nope. There are some that are not good, and there are some that are good, and (laughs) There, there's none that are excellent. So what you want to see most of the time, one trait that I look for is standability. And if you have good standability and you have uh, erect stems, we have a better chance for air to move through the canopy and we have a better chance for a little bit of sunlight to move through the canopy. That makes a huge difference. All right. So when you talk standability, the first thing I think of, in addition to variety, is how much potassium do you have? Yes. If you have really good levels of soil potassium, I'm talking four to eight percent base well, saturation and here's, K. Here's the trade off of shape. this, Brian, and and it appears that we have more white mold in areas with higher fertility. And a lot of times, guys will say, "Well, man, I put manure on that field, and that's where I get the white mold." You know, and I I don't know what all the ties are nutritionally speaking. But it seems like if you have a very fertile piece of ground, you get to canopy quicker and you end up with more issues with white mold. So I, I agree with you. I like to have potassium high. I think that's one that really helps us keep those stalks thick and strong and upright. But I, I don't know where that line is and all the different nutrients out there. Yeah, because but- as we push canopy quicker, normally that gives us a better shot to get high yields, but it also gives us a better shot to have sclerotinia white mold. Okay, but let's talk about manure real quick. Is it well balanced? In many cases, it is not. No, no, of so course not. So there's excess nitrogen. There may be excess phosphorus, and there's also lack of some of the micronutrients like manganese. That's really important. So that's why I say before you ever even put the crop in the ground. I mean, three years in advance, we can have the discussion about tile and good drainage. We can have the discussion about hey, are your soil manganese levels at high levels? If they're not, try to get them there. And by the way, we see better manganese levels when the pH is down a little more. I don't think it's a real coincidence that more nope, of the the white mold issues are in high pH soils. If you get the pH down, then your manganese becomes more available and there is a direct tie between manganese and white mold. If you have better manganese levels, you have less white mold chance. Yep, that's a big that's a big difference. And you know, you also look from the breeding programs, one of the things they're doing to try to combat this in in a variety of crops is looking at leaf size. And when you've got great big leaves up towards the top of the plant, they shade out those lower leaves and we're not getting sun down the canopy. So you may say, well, what's the big deal? Well, like take soybeans, for example, they're going to pod on every one of those nodes going down the plant. If you can't get sunlight down to the bottom of the plant, 
Well, it's not feeding those leaves that are going to feed those pods on the lower branches, and it makes it tough to get yield. That's why so often I hear farmers say, man, I had five-foot-tall beans, and they didn't yield very well, versus sometimes they have three-foot-tall beans, and they yield more. And I think part of it is you're getting sunlight all the way down through that canopy into each one of those nodes. So you don't need great big crop, and you don't need great big leaves to catch all that sunlight. One of the other things we haven't mentioned yet is contans. That is a fungus that eats the sclerotia. So it's awesome, but preferably you want to use that in the fall right after you've harvested that crop that just had white mold. So that may be two or possibly even three or four years before you're going to raise a susceptible crop again. Uh, and you can use contans at any point, but the thing is, if you've just harvested, now you get all those sclerotia, those little black uh, pieces of this disease laying on the ground, and that's what ends up eventually becoming the mushrooms. So if we can kill those right away, well, now we're much less likely to have white mold in the future. So just another thing for you to think about. Uh, we did mention cobra, but we didn't, I don't believe, mention the rate. So cobra, right before flowering, at about six ounces, so you're roughly going to spend five to seven bucks, something like that. It's not that expensive. And we're talking, that's just under a half rate. So you think about Cobra as this product that really burns the leaves. Yep, it can. But number one, what we have found with Cobra is where it burns the leaves worse is where we have micronutrient deficiencies like boron, for example. So we used to put boron all the time with Cobra, like solubor, throw a little solubor in, and that really minimizes the leaf burn. Well, why is that? Because the plant then has more of that micronutrient, which it needed in the first place. Anyway, so using Cobra at that kind of rate, use it before flowering so we don't have so many worries about crop recovery or anything like that. Plant isn't flowering, so it's not in the reproductive stages. That's a good idea. And I, I, on our farm, I really want to do that this year and make sure we get that done around, let's call it the 10th, 15th of June. We've talked a lot about fungicides. There are many choices out there. Endura is the best but it's really expensive. You've got ProLine also. You've got uh, Topsin, Domark, or the mixture of the active ingredients in Topsin and Domark that you find in Acropolis. Uh, there is the new Miravis Neo. So there, there are a number of choices. And again, when I come back to, okay, Endura is really expensive. Well, the reason why it's really ex expensive is because it is the best. So if you've got a major problem, especially if you're in a specialty crop, not just soybeans, but I mean, I would really take a hard look at Endura. And the last thing that I'll leave you with is this. I want you to think about, could you potentially spot spray your fungicide? Could you spot spray your contents? Could you switch varieties on the go to put a better white mold variety in the worst white mold areas? If you look back at your yield maps from two years ago, from four years ago, from six years ago, from eight years ago, I'm just assuming you're in a 50-50 rotation here, corn and soybeans. If you aren't, whatever, you get the point. Every time you've planted soybeans on that field over the last 10 years, I want you to pull up the yield map. Okay, do that for me once on a rain day here and see where were, were my lowest yielding spots. If they were in areas where they probably shouldn't be, well, maybe that was white mold. And if you can remember back, oh yeah, white mold hit me there. Yep. You know what? Two years earlier or four years earlier, it hit me in the same spot. I, I've looked at that on our farm and it's, I'm not going to say shocking, but it, it is, uh, it's just funny how 
It's the same spots. Well, go treat those spots. If you only sprayed 10% or 20% of your acres, well, now all of a sudden it's not too bad. Even if you do spray Endura that costs $35 an acre, if you only spray it on 10% of your acres, across the board, that's $350 an acre. That's I don't mind that. You see where I'm going with this. Those white mold spots, we've had literally... Uh, areas where we've been going along harvesting 80 or 90 bushel beans and all of a sudden we hit zero and you go no we thought this was going to be the best crop we ever had and now we get areas of zero or areas of 10 where it should be 80 and you think about that kind of yield loss can I solve that with one thing with one treatment no I can't but is it very possible to put a better seed variety out there? Sure. Could I lower my planting population a little bit there? Sure. Could I use some heads up uh, for seed treatment? Sure. Could I have spot sprayed some cobra? Could I have spot sprayed some fungicide? By the time it's all said and done, you could have done a whole bunch of things. For that matter, even add some more manganese to those areas of, of fields. Add some elemental sulfur to try to drop the pH. There are many things that can be done it's just you can't get in the middle of the season and go, well, now I'm concerned about white mold. you got to be thinking about these things ahead, and that's why we're talking about it today. I've been talking about sclerotinia white mold. We're going to get into the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. If you have an agronomic question for us, give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. Every farmer knows that in order to be profitable, you need to maximize the return on your crop input investments. Hi, I'm Scott Harms, an agrist specialist with Grain PhD. Without an effective and flexible strategy, your grain marketing plan gets stuck in the mud. With Grain PhD, you get the clarity and guidance a solid marketing plan needs. Our free GrainBridge software simplifies your cost-profit analysis, and our risk specialists are here to help you develop your plan. Sign up today at GrainPhD.com. You know what's convenient? If you're a soybean grower, what's convenient is Zidua Pro Herbicide. That's because you get fast and complete burndown together with up to two weeks longer residual than other herbicides and three sites of action for broad-spectrum weed control plus built-in resistance management. All in one convenient jug. And that turns out to be very inconvenient for pigweed, water hemp, and mare's tail. Contact your local BASF rep today. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgroLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid is the perfect fit for your planter fertilizer program. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic insecticides from Atticus, LLC. Unwanted insects are a nuisance, but they're no match for Serpent from Atticus. Serpent delivers economical, fast-acting, broad-spectrum control to help your corn, soybeans, and wheat crops thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. With the success of the Case IH Steiger Quad Track and Magnum Road Track tractors, it's no secret why Case IH is the leader of the track. 
So it wasn't surprising when the competition started imitating us, because Case IH offered the first 5-axle design to give you more power to the ground with less berming and compaction, all to help you be more productive. Still, we're flattered. In fact, if we weren't already red, we'd be blushing. To learn more, visit caseih.com tracks. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better. Built stronger. Lasts longer. Learn more at mortonbuildings.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. And once again, you can call uh, if you have any agronomic questions. We'd love to help you out at 844-44-AG-PHD, just like Sam from Alabama did. Sam, thanks for calling in. How are you guys today? We're doing well. What can we do for you? Well, yeah, you were talking about boron a while ago as a, as a deterrent to white mold. And... Uh, we have always applied a good bit of a good bit of boron, or you know, we put it on cotton. That's where we've always put it in now, peanuts too. Okay. But my question is, our suppliers have got to where we—it's just getting harder and harder every year to find the old powdered kind of uh, twenty butane borax or whatever it is we used to use, and uh, now everybody's got a product that they're pushing. It's a supposedly a highly concentrated form of boron in a liquid where you put a pint or a quart to the acre. I'd like to get you guys' take on that. I've always been a been an active ingredient person. You know, I figured out how much active ingredient I got out of one product, how much I got out of the other one, and then I, I went with the most cost-effective. So I'd like to hear what you guys think about that that uh, phenomenon, and and if it's if it's happening there, I know you all sell chemicals and, and uh, fertilizers and that's that other too. Okay, so first question on the solubor, we still find it pretty widely available. It's roughly a buck seventy-five a pound, and solubor is twenty percent active. So if you do the math on that, you'd have to take, uh, I'm running out on a calculator right now, uh, that would be, let's see, 175 times 5, you got $8.75 for an actual pound. If you look at liquid boron, for example, I know there's some 5% stuff. There's, I, I, I can name off a whole bunch of different ones. But anyway, if you look at the 5% stuff, it's $21 a gallon. Okay, so if I say let's let's just assume it's eleven pounds per gallon, so I've got a dollar and ninety cents a pound, and I'm going to have to multiply that one times twenty. Uh, let's see, so I've got a lot more dollars. I got thirty-eight bucks in that. We have found that solubor is typically the cheapest when we talk about per active pound. But to your second question or to your second point of you've always looked at active ingredients. Now with chemistry, let's say it's a herbicide, you know, I can totally understand that. When we talk about fertilizer, 
then that's not always the thing that we want to be looking at. And part of the reason why is what else is in that fertilizer? What's the formulation? What's the consistency? What's the mixability? What's the uh, availability for uptake, especially with foliar products? Um, there, there are just a lot of different things there. So I'll give you a couple of examples. One is elemental sulfur. We find that there are elemental sulfurs that can break down very quickly, and there are some that can take five years. It's unbelievable how long that takes. So is the stuff that's available quickly worth more money? You bet it is. We also find some of these different liquid ones, the way that they're formulated, and also I will just tell you, if you look at, there there will be inert ingredients mentioned on the, the, the fertilizer. Okay, when we think about it, normally our minds go to, okay, I got actual fertilizer, the pounds, just like you talked about the active ingredient, and I got water. Well, what could possibly in fertilizer be inert ingredients? Well, in some cases, there are plant growth hormones. I know specifically of a couple of them uh, where there are growth hormones in there to help the liquid fertilizer get better used in the plants. And so when we start talking about the different formulations, I can't promise you that just because, hey, Solubor is cheaper, it's going to give you more net dollars in return. That's where I usually just tell guys, look, if you think that there's something else that can be better, so to your point, a lot of the agronomists now are pushing these other liquids, I'd say, fine, let's just check that out and we'll test it out for the next couple of years on our farm and we'll run some liquid, we'll run some solubor, we'll compare them side by side and see which one gives us a better return and we'll go from there. So that's how we've kind of sorted through some of those things. And then the other side of it is, could you just go with something in the ground? In my state where I have very little rain, I'm super cold and I have heavy soils, I can get by with something in the soil. In your case, where you have probably five times the rainfall, you you most likely have a lot lighter soil, and you have um, no <laughs> big winter like we have for six or sometimes eight months out of the year. It got it got to thirty two degrees again last night. It's May. Anyway, my point is uh, for you, you know, boron. You got to keep in mind is leachable when you have all those factors that you have. So that's kind of why you have to continue putting that out there year after year and maybe even two or three times a year, sometimes on a a crop that needs lots of boron. So I realize that's an incredibly long explanation for your question, but I can't promise you that, yep, soluble, just because I know pound for pound it's cheaper, that it's going to net out to you to be a better buy. And so if your agronomists in your area have been experimenting with this, maybe that's what they've arrived at. I don't know why they aren't pushing solubor now, but I just know back from years ago, uh, we used to use a lot of solubor with products like Cobra. That's why I mentioned that today. And there are still a lot of guys that will talk about solubor, buy solubor, use solubor in this country, but there are also a lot of other sources as well. Well, if it were any anyone other than fertilizer and chemical dealers that was pushing the concentrated product, I think probably they had a they were crooked. But I just know there would never be a fertilizer and chemical dealer that would shoot for the biggest margin. You know, but the, the that's thing, why I say try this stuff out yourself well, and, and prove it to yourself. And just do some plant tissue testing on your farm and see if you're actually short and see after you use products, you know, test a week and a couple of weeks after and just see if you're actually getting anything into the plant. 
Yep, because some people also will say, well, boron isn't even absorbable by the leaf, and that's a bunch of nonsense. I can prove that to you with just what my plant tissue analysis shows later. And also, if it wasn't absorbable, then we wouldn't get any leaf burn if we overdo it. So, I mean, there are different sources, and some are better absorbed, some are better utilized, and you just kind of have to sort through that a little bit by yourself. If you do that, if you're doing the tissue analysis to yep. determine that, do you need to wait till after a rain or to get fresh no. growth? You need to wait to get fresh growth, don't you? Uh, you don't have to. You can, but you know, let's keep in mind with products, or I should say, fertilizer. You just have to wash. You just have to wash the leaves you, before you send them. It, it fertilizers like boron are non-mobile. So when you you start thinking about all right. Uh, nitrogen or phosphorus or potassium, those nutrients are mobile in the plant. And so if a new leaf needs NP or K, it robs it from old leaves. With boron, you spray the leaves that are there. It's not going to go now to the, the, the next and newest leaves very well. So you can't necessarily wait for new growth. What you need to do is test a few days after your application, but wash that leaf off with distilled water. All right. Well, hey, thanks for the call, Sam. Appreciate it. You bet. Let's go up to Saskatchewan. We've got Mark on with us. Hey, Mark, I hear you want to jump in on the boron conversation. (laughs) How's it going, guys? (laughs) Going great. Um, So I just got a hold of a product. It's called Sinalta Boron. I believe it's being distributed by Omex. Mm -hmm. And I'm buying that for uh, $2.21 a liter. Okay. And I'm applying, uh, so out of a liter, I'm getting just shy of a half a pound actual. Okay. You guys had any experience with it? Uh, Not that one. Nope. I'd have to look that up. Uh, Like I was saying a little bit earlier, there are a lot of different ones out there. And it's, we used to, Darren and I used to test a lot of new things that would come out. We continue to do that. But it seems like we're falling further and further behind because every year it's like a thousand products come out and we can't test a thousand products. So, nope, I, yeah. So, no, I'm not familiar with that one exactly, but let us know how that turns out for you. I will. And so I'm trying to look after boron. Um, I'm actually putting this stuff in with my my pre-burn operation ahead of seeding. Yep. And then I actually want to go in uh, with, uh, I've got a granular uh, doing copper sulfate and uh, magnesium sulfate at about five pounds each. Yep. Uh, I don't expect any uh, uh, availability of uh, my copper manganese, but I should have boron uptake uh, pretty good through the plant. So I was just sharing what I was doing. Awesome, Mark. Well, thanks for sharing. Really appreciate that. Uh, thanks for the call. Yeah, the micronutrient thing is interesting as you travel around the world a little bit. You're seeing better availability in some areas, other areas. Uh, people are telling farmers they just don't need micros, so it gets a little bit confusing sometimes. Well, hey, thanks for listening to our show today. Thanks for everybody with that called in and had questions as well. And, and tune in and join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.